Chapter Seven of Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. Education by Ellen G. White. Illustrations Lives of Great Men. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Sacred history presents many illustrations of the results of true education. It presents many noble examples of men whose characters were formed under divine direction, men whose lives were a blessing to their fellow men, and who stood in the world as representatives of God. Among these are Joseph and Daniel, Moses, Elisha, and Paul, the greatest statesman, the wisest legislator, one of the most faithful of reformers, and, except him who spoke as never man spake, the most illustrious teacher that this world has known. In early life, just as they were passing from youth to manhood, Joseph and Daniel were separated from their homes and carried as captives to heathen lands. Especially was Joseph subject to the temptations that attend great changes of fortune. In his father's home, a tenderly cherished child, in the house of Potiphar, a slave, then a confidant and companion, a man of affairs, educated by study, observation, contact with men, in Pharaoh's dungeon, a prisoner of state, condemned unjustly, without hope of vindication or prospect of release, called at a great crisis to the leadership of the nation, what enabled him to preserve his integrity? no one can stand upon a lofty height without danger as the tempest that leaves unharmed the flower of the valley uproots the tree upon the mountain top so do fierce temptations that leave untouched the lowly in life assail those who stand in the world's high places of success and honor but joseph bore alike the test of adversity and of prosperity the same fidelity was manifest in the palace of the pharaohs as in the prisoner's cell in his childhood Joseph had been taught the love and fear of God. Often in his father's tent, under the Syrian stars, he had been told the story of the night vision at Bethel, of the ladder from heaven to earth, and the descending and ascending angels, and of him who from the throne above revealed himself to Jacob. He had been told the story of the conflict beside the Jabbok, when, renouncing cherished sins, Jacob stood conqueror, and received the title of a prince with God. A shepherd boy, tending his father's flocks, Joseph's pure and simple life had favored the development of both physical and mental power. By communion with God through nature and the study of the great truths handed down as a sacred trust from father to son, he had gained strength of mind and firmness of principle. In the crisis of his life, when making that terrible journey from his childhood's home in Canaan to the bondage which awaited him in Egypt, looking for the last time on the hills that hid the tents of his kindred, Joseph remembered his father's God. He remembered the lessons of his childhood, and his soul thrilled with the resolve to prove himself true, ever to act as became a subject of the King of Heaven. In the bitter life of a stranger and a slave, amidst the sights and sounds of vice and the allurements of heathen worship 
a worship surrounded with all the attractions of wealth and culture and the pomp of royalty, Joseph was steadfast. He had learned the lesson of obedience to duty. Faithfulness in every station, from the most lowly to the most exalted, trained every power for the highest service. At the time when he was called to the court of Pharaoh, Egypt was the greatest of nations. In civilization, art, learning, she was unequaled. Through a period of utmost difficulty and danger, Joseph administered the affairs of the kingdom, and this he did in a manner that won the confidence of the king and the people. Pharaoh made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Psalms 105, 21 and 22. The secret of Joseph's life, inspiration has set before us. In words of divine power and beauty, Jacob, in the blessing pronounced upon his children, spoke thus of his best-loved son. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty god of jacob even by the god of thy father who shall help thee and by the almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above blessings of the deep that lieth under the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills they shall be on the head of joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Genesis 49, 22-26 Loyalty to God, faith in the unseen, was Joseph's anchor. In this lay the hiding of his power. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Daniel and his companions in Babylon were, in their youth, apparently more favored of fortune than was Joseph in the earlier years of his life in Egypt. Yet they were subjected to tests of character scarcely less severe. From the comparative simplicity of their Judean home, these youth of royal line were transported to the most magnificent of cities, to the court of its greatest monarch, and were singled out to be trained for the king's special service. Strong were the temptations surrounding them in that corrupt and luxurious court. The fact that they, the worshippers of Jehovah, were captives to Babylon, that the vessels of God's house had been placed in the temple of the gods of Babylon, that the king of Israel was himself a prisoner in the hands of the Babylonians, was boastfully cited by the victors as evidence that their religion and customs were superior to the religion and customs of the Hebrews. Under such circumstances, through the very humiliations that Israel's departure from his commandments had invited, God gave to Babylon evidence of his supremacy, of the holiness of his requirements, and of the sure result of obedience. And this testimony he gave, as alone it could be given, through those who still held fast their loyalty. To Daniel and his companions, at the very outset of their career, there came a decisive test. The direction that their food should be supplied from the royal table was an expression both of the king's favor and of his solicitude for their welfare. 
but a portion having been offered to idols the food from the king's table was consecrated to idolatry and in partaking of the king's bounty these youth would be regarded as uniting in his homage to false gods in such homage loyalty to jehovah forbade them to participate nor dared they risk the enervating effect of luxury and dissipation on physical mental and spiritual development daniel and his companions had been faithfully instructed in the principles of the word of god they had learned to sacrifice the earthly to the spiritual to seek the highest good and they had reaped the reward their habits of temperance and their sense of responsibility as representatives of god called to noblest development the powers of mind body and soul at the end of their training and their examination with other candidates for the honors of the kingdom there was found none like daniel hananiah mishael and azariah daniel one nineteen at the court of babylon were gathered representatives from all lands men of the choicest talents men the most richly endowed with natural gifts and possessed of the highest culture this world could bestow yet amidst them all the hebrew captives were without a peer in physical strength and beauty in mental vigor and literary attainment they stood unrivaled in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm daniel one twenty unwavering in allegiance to god unyielding in the mastery of himself daniel's noble dignity and courteous deference won for him in his youth the favor and tender love of the heathen officer in whose charge he was the same characteristics marked his life speedily he rose to the position of prime minister of the kingdom throughout the reign of successive monarchs the downfall of the nation and the establishment of a rival kingdom such were his wisdom and statesmanship so perfect his tact his courtesy and his genuine goodness of heart combined with fidelity to principle that even his enemies were forced to the confession that they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful daniel six four while daniel clung to god with unwavering trust the spirit of prophetic power came upon him while honored by men with the responsibilities of the court and the secrets of the kingdom he was honored by god as his ambassador and taught to read the mysteries of ages to come heathen monarchs through association with heaven's representative were constrained to acknowledge the god of daniel of a truth it is declared nebuchadnezzar that your god is a god of gods and a lord of kings and a revealer of secrets and darius in his proclamation unto all people nations and languages that dwell in all the earth exalted the god of daniel as the living god and steadfast for ever and in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed who delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth daniel two forty seven and daniel six twenty five through twenty seven by their wisdom and justice by the purity and benevolence of their daily life by their devotion to the interests of the people and they idolaters joseph and daniel proved themselves true to the principles of their early training true to him whose representatives they were these men both in egypt and in babylon the whole nation honored 
and in them a heathen people and all the nations with which they were connected beheld an illustration of the goodness and beneficence of god an illustration of the love of christ what a life work was that of these noble hebrews as they bade farewell to their childhood's home how little did they dream of their high destiny faithful and steadfast they yielded themselves to the divine guiding so that through them god could fulfill his purpose the same mighty truths that were revealed through these men god desires to reveal through the youth and the children of today the history of joseph and daniel is an illustration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with the whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose the greatest want in the world is the want of men men who will not be bought or sold men who in their inmost souls are true and honest men who do not fear to call sin by its right name men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall but such a character is not the result of accident it is not due to special favors or endowments of providence a noble character is the result of self-discipline of the subjugation of the lower to the higher nature the surrender of self for the service of love to god and man the youth need to be impressed with the truth that their endowments are not their own strength time intellect are but lent treasures they belong to god and it should be the resolve of every youth to put them to the highest use he is a branch from which god expects fruit a steward whose capital must yield increase a light to illuminate the world's darkness every youth every child has a work to do for the honor of god and the uplifting of humanity the early years of the prophet elisha were passed in the quietude of country life under the teaching of god and nature and the discipline of useful work in a time of almost universal apostasy his father's household were among the number who had not bowed the knee to baal theirs was a home where god was honored and where faithfulness to duty was the rule of daily life the son of a wealthy farmer elisha had taken up the work that lay nearest while possessing the capabilities of a leader among men he received a training in life's common duties in order to direct wisely he must learn to obey by faithfulness in little things he was prepared for weightier trusts of a meek and gentle spirit elisha possessed also energy and steadfastness he cherished the love and fear of god and in the humble round of daily toil he gained strength of purpose and nobleness of character growing in divine grace and knowledge while cooperating with his father in the home duties he was learning to cooperate with god the prophetic call came to elisha while with his father's servants he was ploughing in the field as elijah divinely directed and seeking a successor cast his mantle upon the young man's shoulders elisha recognized and obeyed the summons he went after elijah and ministered unto him first kings nineteen twenty one it was no great work that was at first required of elisha commonplace duties still constituted his discipline he is spoken of as pouring water on the hands of elijah his master as the prophet's personal attendant he continued to prove faithful in little things 
while with daily strengthening purpose he devoted himself to the mission appointed him by god when he was first summoned his resolution had been tested as he turned to follow elijah he was bidden by the prophet to return home he must count the cost decide for himself to accept or reject the call but elisha understood the value of his opportunity not for any worldly advantage would he forego the possibility of becoming god's messenger or sacrifice the privilege of association with his servant as time passed and elijah was prepared for translation so elisha was prepared to become his successor and again his faith and resolution were tested accompanying elijah in his round of service knowing the change soon to come he was at each place invited by the prophet to turn back tarry here i pray thee elijah said for the lord hath sent me to bethel but in his early labor of guiding the plough elisha had learned not to fail or to become discouraged and now that he had set his hand to the plough and another line of duty he would not be diverted from his purpose as often as the invitation to turn back was given his answer was as the lord liveth and as thy soul liveth i will not leave thee second kings two six and they too went on and they too stood by jordan and elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground and it came to pass when they were gone over that elijah said unto elisha ask what i shall do for thee before i be taken away from thee and elisha said i pray thee let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me and he said thou hast asked a hard thing nevertheless if thou see me when i am taken from thee it shall be so unto thee but if not it shall not be so and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and elijah went up by a whirlwind unto heaven and elisha saw it and he cried my father my father the chariot of israel and the horsemen thereof and he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces he took up also the mantle of elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of jordan and he took the mantle of elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said where is the lord god of elijah and when he also had smitten the waters they parted hither and thither and elisha went over and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at jericho saw him they said the spirit of elijah does rest on elisha and they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him second kings two six through fifteen henceforth elisha stood in elijah's place and he who had been faithful in that which was least proved himself faithful also in much elijah the man of power had been god's instrument for the overthrow of gigantic evils idolatry which supported by ahab and the heathen jezebel had seduced the nation had been cast down baal's prophets had been slain the whole people of israel had been deeply stirred and many were returning to the worship of god as successor to elijah was needed one who by careful patient instruction could guide israel in safe paths for this work elisha's early training under god's direction had prepared him the lesson is for all 
None can know what may be God's purpose in his discipline, but all may be certain that faithfulness in little things is the evidence of fitness for greater responsibilities. Every act of life is a revelation of character, and he only who in small duties proves himself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed will be honored by God with weightier trusts. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.13 Younger than Joseph or Daniel was Moses when removed from the sheltering care of his childhood's home. Yet already the same agencies that shaped their lives had molded his. Only twelve years did he spend with his Hebrew kindred, but during those years was laid the foundation of his greatness. It was laid by the hand of one little known to fame. Jochebed was a woman and a slave. Her lot in life was humble, her burden heavy. But through no other woman save mary of nazareth has the world received greater blessing knowing that her child must soon pass beyond her care to the guardianship of those who knew not god she the more earnestly endeavored to link his soul with heaven she sought to implant in his heart love and loyalty to god and faithfully was the work accomplished those principles of truth that were the burden of his mother's teaching and the lesson of her life no after-influence could induce Moses to renounce. From the humble home in Goshen, the son of Jacobed passed to the palace of the pharaohs, to the Egyptian princess, by her to be welcomed as a loved and cherished son. In the schools of Egypt, Moses received the highest civil and military training, of great personal attractions, noble in form and stature, of cultivated mind and princely bearing, and renowned as a military leader, he became the nation's pride. The king of Egypt was also a member of the priesthood, and Moses, though refusing to participate in the heathen worship, was initiated into all the mysteries of the Egyptian religion. Egypt at this time being still the most powerful and most highly civilized of nations, Moses, as its prospective sovereign, was heir to the highest honors this world could bestow but his was a nobler choice. For the honor of God and the deliverance of his downtrodden people, Moses sacrificed the honors of Egypt. Then, in a special sense, God undertook his training. Not yet was Moses prepared for his life work. He had yet to learn the lessons of dependence upon divine power. He had mistaken God's purpose. It was his hope to deliver Israel by force of arms. For this he risked all and failed. In defeat and disappointment he became a fugitive in exile in a strange land. In the wilds of Midian, Moses spent forty years as a keeper of sheep. Apparently cut off forever from his life's mission, he was receiving the discipline essential for its fulfillment. Wisdom to govern an ignorant and undisciplined multitude must be gained through self-mastery. In the care of the sheep and the tender lambs he must obtain the experience that would make him a faithful, long-suffering shepherd to Israel. That he might become a representative of God, he must learn of him. The influences that had surrounded him in Egypt, the affection of his foster mother, his own position as the grandson of a king, the luxury and vice that allured in ten thousand forms, the refinement, the subtlety, and the mysticism of a false religion had made an impression on his mind and character. In the stern simplicity of the wilderness all this disappeared. Amidst the solemn majesty of the mountain solitudes, Moses was alone with God. Everywhere the Creator's name was written. 
Moses seemed to stand in his presence and to be overshadowed by his power. Here his self-sufficiency was swept away. In the presence of the Infinite One, he realized how weak, how inefficient, how short-sighted is man. Here Moses gained that which went with him throughout the years of his toilsome and care-burdened life, a sense of the personal presence of the Divine One. Not merely did he look down the ages for Christ to be made manifest in the flesh, he saw Christ accompanying the host of Israel in all their travels. When misunderstood and misrepresented, when called to bear reproach and insult, to face danger and death, he was able to endure as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11.27 Moses did not merely think of God, he saw him. God was the constant vision before him. Never did he lose sight of his face. To Moses, faith was no guesswork. It was a reality. He believed that God ruled his life in particular, and in all its details he acknowledged him. For strength to withstand every temptation, he trusted him. The great work assigned him he desired to make in the highest degree successful, and he placed his whole dependence upon divine power. He felt his need of help, asked for it, by faith grasped it, and in the assurance of sustaining strength went forward. Such was the experience that Moses gained by his forty years of training in the desert. To impart such an experience, infinite wisdom counted not the period too long or the price too great. The results of that training, of the lessons there taught, are bound up, not only with the history of Israel, but with all which from that day to this has told for the world's progress. The highest testimony to the greatness of Moses, the judgment passed upon his life by inspiration is, There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom Jehovah knew face to face. Deuteronomy 34.10 With the faith and experience of the Galilean disciples who had companied with Jesus were united in the work of the gospel, the fiery vigor and intellectual power of a rabbi of Jerusalem, a Roman citizen born in a Gentile city, a Jew not only by descent but by lifelong training, patriotic devotion and religious faith, educated in Jerusalem by the most eminent of the rabbis and instructed in all the laws and traditions of the fathers, Saul of Tarsus shared to the fullest extent the pride and the prejudices of his nation. While still a young man, he became an honored member of the Sanhedrin. He was looked upon as a man of promise, a zealous defender of the ancient faith. In the theological schools of Judea, the word of God had been set aside for human speculations. It was robbed of its power by the interpretations and traditions of the rabbis. Self-aggrandizement, love of domination, jealous exclusiveness, Bigotry and contemptuous pride were the ruling principles and motives of these teachers. The rabbis gloried in their superiority, not only to the people of other nations, but to the masses of their own. With their fierce hatred of their Roman oppressors, they cherished the determination to recover by force of arms their natural supremacy. The followers of Jesus, whose message of peace was so contrary to their schemes of ambition, they hated and put to death. In this persecution, Saul was one of the most bitter and relentless actors. 
in the military schools of egypt moses was taught the law of force and so strong a hold did this teaching have upon his character that it required forty years of quiet and communion with god and nature to fit him for the leadership of israel by the law of love the same lesson paul had to learn at the gate of damascus the vision of the crucified one changed the whole current of his life the persecutor became a disciple the teacher a learner the days of darkness spent in solitude at damascus were as years in his experience the old testament scriptures stored in his memory were his study and christ his teacher to him also nature's solitudes became a school to the desert of arabia he went there to study the scriptures and to learn of god he emptied his soul of the prejudices and traditions that had shaped his life and received instruction from the source of truth his afterlife was inspired by the one principle of self-sacrifice the ministry of love i am a debtor he said both to the greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise the love of christ constraineth us romans one fourteen and second corinthians five fourteen the greatest of human teachers paul accepted the lowliest as well as the highest duties he recognized the necessity of labor for the hand as well as for the mind and he wrought at a handicraft for his own support his trade of tent-making he pursued while daily preaching the gospel in the great centers of civilization these hands he said at parting with the elders of ephesus have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me acts twenty thirty four while he possessed high intellectual endowments the life of paul revealed the power of a rarer wisdom principles of deepest import principles concerning which the greatest minds of his time were ignorant are unfolded in his teachings and exemplified in his life he had that greatest of all wisdom which gives quickness of insight and sympathy of heart which brings man in touch with men and enables him to arouse their better nature and inspire them to a higher life listen to his words before the heathen lystrians as he points them to god revealed in nature the source of all good who gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness acts fourteen seventeen see him in the dungeon at philippi where despite his pain-racked body his song of praise breaks the silence of midnight after the earthquake has opened the prison doors his voice is again heard in words of cheer to the heathen jailer do thyself no harm for we are all here acts sixteen twenty eight every man in his place restrained by the presence of one fellow-prisoner and the jailer convicted of the reality of that faith which sustains paul inquires the way of salvation and with his whole household unites with the persecuted band of christ's disciples see paul at athens before the council of the areopagus as he meets science with science logic with logic and philosophy with philosophy mark how with the tact born of divine love he points to jehovah as the unknown god whom his hearers have ignorantly worshipped and in words quoted from a poet of their own he pictures him as a father whose children they are hear him in that age of caste 
when the rights of man as man were wholly unrecognized as he sets forth the great truth of human brotherhood declaring that god hath made of one blood all nations of men for us to dwell on all the face of the earth then he shows how through all the dealings of god with man runs like a thread of gold his purpose of grace and mercy he hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us acts seventeen twenty three twenty six and twenty seven hear him in the court of festus when king agrippa convicted of the truth of the gospel exclaims almost thou persuadest me to be a christian with what gentle courtesy does paul pointing to his own chain make answer i would to god that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as i am except these bonds acts twenty six twenty eight and twenty nine thus passed his life as described in his own words in journeyings often in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils by mine own countrymen in perils by the heathen in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness second corinthians thirteen twenty six and twenty seven being reviled he said we bless being persecuted we suffer it being defamed we entreat as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things first corinthians four twelve and thirteen and second corinthians six ten in service he found joy and at the close of his life of toil looking back on its struggles and triumphs he could say i have fought a good fight second timothy four seven these histories are of vital interest to none are they of deeper importance than to the youth moses renounced a prospective kingdom Paul the advantages of wealth and honor among his people for a life of burden-bearing in God's service. To many the life of these men appears one of renunciation and sacrifice. Was it really so? Moses counted the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He counted it so because it was so. Paul declared, What things were gained to me, these have I counted lost for Christ yea verily and i count all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord for whom i suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuse that i might gain christ philippians three seven and eight he was satisfied with his choice moses was offered the palace of the pharaohs and the monarch's throne but the sinful pleasures that make men forget god were in those lordly courts and he chose instead the durable riches and righteousness. Proverbs 8, 8. Instead of linking himself with the greatness of Egypt, he chose to bind up his life with God's purpose. Instead of giving laws to Egypt, he by divine direction enacted laws for the world. He became God's instrument in giving to men those principles that are the safeguard alike of the home and of society, that are the cornerstone of the prosperity of nations, 
principles recognized today by the world's greatest men as the foundation of all that is best in human governments the greatness of egypt is in the dust its power and civilization have passed away but the work of moses can never perish the great principles of righteousness which he lived to establish are eternal moses's life of toil and heart-burdening care was irradiated with the presence of him who is the chiefest among ten thousand and the one altogether lovely with christ in the wilderness wandering with christ on the mount of transfiguration with christ in the heavenly courts his was a life on earth blessing and blessed and in heaven honored paul also in his manifold labors was upheld by the sustaining power of his presence i can do all things he said through christ which strengtheneth me who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord philippians four thirteen romans eight thirty five through thirty nine yet there is a future joy to which paul looked forward as the recompense of his labors the same joy for the sake of which christ endured the cross and despised the shame the joy of seeing the fruition of his work what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing he wrote to the thessalonian converts are not even ye in the presence of our lord jesus christ at his coming for ye are our glory and joy second thessalonians two nineteen and twenty who can measure the results to the world of paul's life work of all those beneficent influences that alleviate suffering that comfort sorrow that restrain evil that uplift life from the selfish and the sensual and glorify it with the hope of immortality how much is due to the labors of paul and his fellow-workers as with the gospel of the son of god they made their unnoticed journey from asia to the shores of europe what is it worth to any life to have been god's instrument in setting in motion such influences of blessing what will it be worth in eternity to witness the results of such a life work End of chapter seven recording by tanika madison alabama